Welcome to episode 21 of the WASB Connection Podcast. School board members have long accepted disagreement to be part of the job, and when they're well-managed, these conflicts can help school boards grow and change. But too many conflicts are lately curdling into hate and abuse. The rules that have restrained conflict, spoken and unspoken, have broken down in school boards across the country. These breakdowns are caused by larger forces, but the choices made by school leaders can either inflame or curtail these conflicts. Today, we talk with a longtime mediator and a school board member. We'll talk about the principles in managing conflict, like close listening and paraphrasing. We'll also touch on preparing for and conducting challenging board meetings. As WASB consultant and mediator Cheryl Stinsky will explain, setting expectations can play a major role. That's the prep part. People who are going to make public comment have to know what the ground rules are. Also included in these conversations is Betty Mannion, a school board member from Wapaka. She'll explain how some of these principles, including preparation, work for her and her board. In our second meeting where we had community input, the ground rules were laid out very well. People pre-registered. They had three minutes to speak. They were told when their three minutes were going to come to an end. It was a very, very respectful situation. Let's start with introductions. Hi, my name is Cheryl Stinsky, and I am one of the governance consultants with WASB, and I have been since 2010. In my other life, I've been a mediator since 1991, working with people, helping them resolve conflict, facilitating conflictual meetings, and doing some coaching and training. So my background has been around conflict for a long time. My name is Betty Mannion, and I've been a school board member in the Wapaka School District for 18 years. I just got reelected again in April. And professionally, I've had kind of a varied career, I guess you could say. I've been involved in education for 27 years. I've taught from the preschool level all the way up to the college level. Um, I do storytelling and motivational speaking, and I wrote a book. Tell me why this is an important topic and an important time to talk about it. Well, I think conflict has always been and will continue to be a natural part of life. There are conflicts everywhere. What really matters is what we do with it, what we do with conflict to make it either productive or destructive. So I think what we're seeing is that there are more destructive conflicts going on. So how we deal with them makes all the difference in the world. And right now, Unfortunately, I think people are becoming polarized around issues. Social media has not helped a great deal, I think, in that. In fact, I think social media is the worst way to address conflicts. And there's been a lot of disruptive behavior that has been coming out around conflict. So people aren't listening to each other. They aren't really wanting to address the conflict. What they're doing is wanting to win the conflict. And I think when that happens, when it becomes so polarized that it's win-lose, very adversarial, it becomes a whole different ballgame. It's different kind of conflict and makes it a lot more difficult until we can get it back to utilizing some good tools to try and resolve those conflicts. Because the issues are important. 
But when we polarize around issues and really become win-lose, we all lose. It seems like there's more complaining and blaming going on with conflict. The problem has become between all of us as opposed to working as a team and putting the conflict alongside of us and together solving the problem. Conflict is a pretty broad topic. I know, Cheryl, you've studied this for some time, and I'm wondering if you can break that down. Well, there are certainly conflict around personalities. There are conflicts around how we do our work. There are conflicts around issues and ideas and what we're going to do in the future of our vision for the future. So there are conflicts around almost anything. But I think what happens in many conflicts, regardless of what it's really about, we we personalize them and we begin to attack the person instead of the problem. And so when people feel attacked personally, whether it's, you know, you this or you that, or it's really attacking what's most important to them, their values, oftentimes then they fight back or they counterattack, or on the other side of that, they shut down. And the real issue or the problem gets lost in all of this, because the real issue or the problem is typically not the person or the people. It's usually about something else. But oftentimes, feeling like we don't know how to address that issue, we begin to attack each other. That happens in families. It happens on the playground. It happens in any organization. One of the things as a mediator that I have found over and over again, particularly in conflicts that have been longstanding, is that the parties themselves, um, and this may be professional people, it may be children, but they're saying the other person is the problem. And when we actually spend time talking about the problem, we found that it's not the other person. It's something that happened between the parties or some disagreement that started out small maybe, but never got resolved and took on a life of its own over time. When we personalize those conflicts, we think they're personality conflicts. But really, even a personality conflict is about something. It may be about the fact that I'm an extrovert and my husband's an introvert. And so how we play that out could be called a personality conflict. And really, there's no conflict between extroverts and introverts, the fact that we have different personalities. Mm -hmm. It's how that personality plays itself out in our expectations of the other person. Oftentimes that creates a conflict. I've often found that if I understand where someone is coming from, what their background is, what their expectations are, what their experiences are, that it helps me understand their position on different issues. I guess empathy is what I'm going to focus on here, that I always try to be empathetic with where someone's coming from based on their experiences. And once you know that, then how they vote on things, their position on things is more understandable. I want to talk in a, just a moment about some of those strategies to resolve and to prevent conflict, but I also wanted to ask, are there times when conflict is healthy and appropriate, when avoiding conflict might do more harm than actually having it? Mm-hmm. 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 I think that, and this is Cheryl, that there are times to avoid conflict, mm-hmm. but I would 
preface that with saying be careful about that because one of the styles of conflict management is avoidance. Mm -hmm. And there are certain kinds of people who would like to use that style all the time. That just is their comfort zone Mm -hmm. is to avoid conflict because they, I think, oftentimes don't know what to do with it or how to resolve it. It's scary. But I think if, if the issues are important or if the relationships are important, you cannot avoid conflict. You have to deal with it. And even if they seem like very small issues that don't matter, if you can't let them go, if they become part of your working with another person, oftentimes that makes us then preface our working relationship with them. Oh, she'll never agree with that. Oh, she doesn't like that kind of thing. And so we begin to make things up in a sense in our own heads about what will or will not happen. And give you an example from my own life in um, when I first started my business and my business partner and I are very different people. All of a sudden she started acting differently and I could tell something was wrong. And I would ask her, you know, is something wrong? Is something bothering you? And she'd say, no, there's nothing wrong. But I could even tell in the response there was something wrong. And it was beginning to create some issues between us. And so one day I said, listen, we're in the, in, we're in the business of resolving conflict. I right. think we have one here. We better deal with it. Well, she said, it's so stupid. It's such a small issue. I feel so stupid bringing it up. And I said, it's not small if it's getting between us. So the issue was that we live in office space very differently. I have things out, out of sight, out of mind. So they got to be out when I'm working on them. And I had the office that was private. We had two spaces in our office space. And she was in the office that was more public, but also had the copy machine and different things in there. So I'd be out there working on things, right? And I leave things around while I'm working on them. And she's a neat neck. And so what happened is it was just that. It was driving her crazy because we just operate differently. And so as we talked about it, I'm thinking, well, I've got a solution to that. I don't know if she'll agree with it. I said, how about if you take the other office and I use this office? Because that doesn't bother me if you got stuff laying around. It worked perfectly. That's all we had to do. But she thought it was a small issue. To me, it's not a small issue if it's getting in the way of, of your working together. And it, it didn't become a big issue, but it sure could have had we not addressed it. It's sometimes funny to me the extent to which I and, and other people will go to avoid even minor conflict. It reminds me of a story. My father and I would go to a pizza place and at the arcade machine, it would eat up my quarters. And you'd be like, oh, I don't want to talk to the person. Even though the stakes are so low, you know, it's easy for us in our minds to make reasons to avoid conflict, right? It doesn't matter or mm-hmm. I shouldn't be mad. It is. And I think it's generally because of our attitude about conflict. And I mean culturally. I don't mean individually even. I do an exercise also where we use words and different things to define conflict. It always turns out negative. It doesn't matter if it's kids, adults, doesn't matter. It's in 30 plus years, it's always been negative. And that gives us an opportunity to then look at why do we think conflict is negative all the time when it really is not negative. It's very constructive in many ways. Where would we be without having some constructive conflict? But I think when we've not had a good experience with conflict, that becomes our filter through which we see all conflict. And and yet we forget that 
for example, using your little example of the quarter, if I own that establishment and I want my people who come in to be happy, I'd want to know about that so I could fix it, right? right? And so we forget that part of it. We think they're going to be mad at us instead of, oh, thank you for giving me an opportunity to make my establishment better. Oftentimes, then, people don't address it until it just blows out of them. (laughs) I think, Betty, you mentioned a good principle is empathy. Even if somebody isn't behaving empathetically towards us, what can we do? What are some tactics to, to show empathy toward them? And I've had to practice this a lot in the past few months, is to listen. People just want to be heard. And so to listen and to value their opinion, because everybody is entitled to their opinion. You might not agree, but people are entitled to their opinions. So I've found in contentious situations where, you know, there's been lots of visitors at board meetings or whatever, to listen, to acknowledge them, to thank them for their opinion. I just use that virtue of empathy a lot, like put myself in their shoes, where they're coming from. And that helps me to understand their perspective. Number one is to listen. If we don't listen, we only hear ourselves, right? And so how can you possibly know someone else's perspective, learn from that, um, see the world a little bit differently if we only hear ourselves? So listening is is key to resolving any conflict to even getting started. Um, And I think along with that, we have to focus on the problem, not on the people, but on the problem. And I may not like someone right now because of how they're behaving, but I still can focus on the problem. And if I begin to focus on their behavior and only their behavior right now. I may have known them in all different kinds of situations, but right now I'm going to focus on their behavior right now as if that's who they are. That doesn't help the situation because even if I don't say it, we know from each other, from our body language, our facial expressions, and even the energy we're emitting towards another person that they're not looking at us with favor, right? And so we really have to check our attitude. And, and I think that's something important for all school board members or anyone who may be coming into a situation where there is going to be conflict is to really think about what's your attitude about this. If I go into a school board meeting thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be horrible. And, you know, these crazy people are coming to attack me or whatever. Um, I've set the stage. I think in some ways. And so if I, you know, really try and calm myself and think about, okay, these are people who maybe are acting in a way I don't appreciate right now. Um, On the other hand, these are people I know from my community or are good people. I know their kids maybe from, you know, being in school or whatever, and they're good kids. And so to really not demonize people and to really focus on the problem and not the people. I also think you need to always focus on the goal. What is the Mm -hmm. goal here? What is our common goal? What is our goal? We're trying to do what's best for our students. So um, to always keep our eye on the prize has really helped a board, I think, to to just stay focused and and not be distracted by, um, you know, input from people whose demeanor isn't the best. And I, I, Cheryl, to your point, when people 
speak at meetings and they come forward and they're disrespectful or they're contentious or whatever, it, it doesn't do their cause any favor mm-hmm. um, when they come forward respectfully. And I, I have learned so much from other people um, that have come forward in our meetings to present their case or their cause or whatever, but because their demeanor has been respectful, it's been polite, they're organized, they've got all their ducks in a row, I've, I've learned things. And I think sometimes we've learned that speaking louder is, <laughs> makes us hurt better when the reality is that's not true. You know, the more in your face people get or the louder they get, we shut down, we stop listening because it's too hard to listen to that. And so, um, and oftentimes when any of us are doing that, we're not making as much sense as we might either. When emotions are what I would say driving the bus, um, we aren't making as much sense as if we, as Betty was saying, state our case reasonably and rationally um, to the best of our ability. Because, you know, issues are emotional as well. I'm not saying we don't have emotions. We just don't let them drive the bus. I'm glad you're mentioning listening because I think some listeners think, oh, listening. Yeah, I do that. That's easy. But, I mean, listening is hard and most people don't do it very well. Most people at most times are basically using that time to think about what they're going to say next. I think really listening to somebody, I think that's unusual. You are absolutely right, Dan. I took a three-credit course in listening when I was in college, and I took it as an elective thinking it would be easy. (laughs) When I finished with it, I realized how much work I had yet to do. I thought I was a good listener. I found out I wasn't a good listener and that good listening takes really hard work. And, you know, as a mediator, that is the, the top strategy we have is to listen well to people so that we can help everyone involved in that mediation understand what that person means, not necessarily just what they say, but what they mean, because oftentimes, especially when people are emotional, they're not really saying what they mean. It comes out in many different ways. And so my job as a mediator is to help to get to what do they mean. And part of the strategy is what you were talking about. I have to give back to them what I think I've heard. And I may not get it right. We call it paraphrase. And so I may say, so your perspective is, and that's a good strategy for anyone in conflict, because as Betty stated, people want to be heard and they don't feel they're heard when they talk louder, when they get more emotional, it's oftentimes because they're not feeling like they've been heard. And so paraphrasing is a good way to, first of all, let them know you've been trying to listen and and are trying to understand them. And secondly, to get to what do they really mean. And I've found in, as a mediator, people will often say to me, you know, you said that better than I could. <laughs> and I'm saying, no, I'm just trying to get to what you really mean by right, this right. because I'm not just taking what they say at face value. And I think we often do that. We just take it at face value instead of really trying to understand and saying, so do you mean this or um, your perspective is or sure. um Help me understand, as Betty said before, I think that's one of my stock phrases. It tells people you want to understand, you really want to hear them. And it is the hardest when you have to say something out loud that you don't agree with. (laughs) Because like you said before, Dan, you're formulating your response in your mind often. That's what many of us do. And, And instead of focusing on what they're saying, and so often then, even if we restate it, if we're 
really not careful, we can restate our own opinion instead of theirs. To that point, Cheryl, I I think it's really important. We have to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. Um, If we don't ask the right questions, we can't get the facts. And if we can't get the facts and we don't know the cause, I ask a lot of questions, I I admit. They're like, oh, Mm -hmm. she's asking another question. Yeah. But to me, informed decision-making is the best tool I think that a school board member can have. I also want to talk about disruptive meetings. I'm wondering if we could talk about some ways, some tactics specific to board meetings and and those that might be potentially disruptive. This is Cheryl, and I I can tell you from um, part of how I think that has to work is that um, most boards have in their bylaws whether or not they do public comment, and if they do, what it's going to look like, how to, how you go about it, if there's a time frame or not, which in today's world, there almost has to be a time frame where you'll be at this for hours and hours, and what the ground rules are for that. Oftentimes, they're spelled out very clearly. And so I think that's the prep part. People who are going to make public comment have to know what the ground rules are. And then they have to be enforced. If they're not enforced, don't bother, right? You know, it's no point in having them. And I think that's been part of the struggle with some of the boards is how do we enforce them? Letting people know ahead of time. I know there are boards that the president will read a statement at the beginning of the meeting and, and then let people know that if the ground rules are not followed, what's going to happen? And some of them have had law enforcement at their meetings, and which is sad in my estimation that it has to get that far. So I think it's prefaced by that you know what what do your bylaws say you have to follow those bylaws just like you do for anything else and so starting there and if you don't have them you ought to have them does that mean that people are not gonna get out of hand or do disruptive things no but i think you've set a better stage i was with a board recently that were saying that every meeting the same people come and say the same thing over and over again and so Perhaps what you could say is, this is what we believe that your position is. Um, Do you have anything to add to that? We already have that information. What else would you add to that? If not, we're going to move on to the next person because we only have so much time and we'd like to give everybody the amount of time to, to speak if they have something more to add so that we're using those good skills as well. And, and if it gets out of hand, you got another, you have another problem on your hand and all the good conflict of resolution skills in the world may not work very well. And so you may need some outside help. You know, I've, I've done mediation already with a police officer stationed outside the door because of what had happened between the parties ahead of time. And so I'm hoping nothing is going to happen in there, but I'm also going to be prepared for that. Well, we start every board meeting by reading board norms. I think that's good for the people in the audience to hear is that our norms are, they address a lot of things about being on task, being respectful, listening to everybody. It's a good reminder for everybody that's attending the meeting, I believe. Secondly, I think our first meeting where we had a, a big community gathering maybe didn't go as well as we had hoped it would because it was our first experience with so many people showing up 
our second meeting where we had community input, the ground rules were laid out very well. People pre-registered. They had three minutes to speak. They were told when their three minutes were going to come to an end. It was a very, very respectful situation. I think exactly what Cheryl said, lay the ground rules, let people know, respect what they're going to say. They just want to be heard and um, go from there. I also think it's important, though, to, like you said, Cheryl, to reread your bylaws, make sure you're all on the same page, to make sure legal counsel is on board with you, that you're doing everything legally so that no one can question your procedure. I see this inclination by board members to be uncomfortable with these kinds of limits on speech because they don't want to be accused of that, mm-hmm. even though right. by not putting these ground rules in place, it's not doing any favors to everybody who wants to be heard. I would agree with that. You just want to be fair to everybody. You want everybody to be able to speak. You want to make sure that everybody has a say. But you've got board business to take care of. Mm-hmm. You're there for a meeting with a full agenda, but yet you don't want to cut people off. So there's that fine line of that. So that's why I'm saying it's really important to lay the ground rules to know what your bylaws are. So if you do have to cut people off or if you do have to say our 30-minute time frame is over, yet we can extend it, you have a little better control. And everybody that way has a say and a voice. So I actually think it's easier for everybody. I agree with that 100%. There are other ways for people's voices to be heard, too. And so we can remind them of that. They can send emails. They can call the superintendent if they have an issue that needs to be addressed with the superintendent and those kinds of things. The other thing I would say about that, Betty, I'm so glad you brought up the the board's norms, is because I think that sets the stage for what you're expecting from the public. Because if the board isn't following good communication and, and behavior, you've opened the door for everybody else to do the same. And, and the board can't get their work done either if they're not behaving the way they need to with each other to build trust and, and um, to work as a team. We try to keep reminding boards that your board meeting is conducted in public. It's not a public meeting. It's simply conducted in public. And you have, as Betty said, lots of work to do. And so if it all is spent, as as I've talked to boards who have spent three hours on public comment, and by the time they get to actually their board business, they're exhausted. How good are you at doing your board business? You need it. That's the main reason you have a board meeting is to conduct board business. It just so happens by state law, we have to do it in public, which, as Betty said earlier, is not a bad thing. We want people to know what's going on, but it's not a public participation meeting. It's one where some boards, many boards, will allow for that public comment, but they don't have to by state law. What do you think you should do the first time that norm is violated? The first time someone jumps up in the middle of someone else's speech and says, you need to resign. Here's what I would do, um, but I'm speaking not as an experienced board member, so I'm hoping Betty will jump in there. But as a person in my profession, what I would simply do, and I've been challenged in many times in meeting situations and whatnot, but I would simply say, you're entitled to that opinion, and certainly it's it's something you wanted to express tonight. 
I'd be happy to talk to you further about why you need to, you think I need to do that, just not right now, because we have board business to conduct. So if you'd like to send me an email, if you would like to have a phone call with me, I'm happy to do that because I'd like to hear more about what you have to say. But your three minutes is up or, you know, I think it's important to, to address that, but you can't make that the focus of the meeting. And that's very hard to do. And maybe that person doesn't do it. Maybe your board president is the one who says that. You know, you're entitled to those opinions. Emotions are very high. You're very upset about these things. That's not the focus of what this meeting is tonight. So thank you for sharing that. I think you really have to have a very strong president (laughs) who is able to control the meeting and who, unfortunately, we do who very respectfully can say thank you for your input or if someone is presenting and their demeanor is not respectful, to be able to jump in and say, sir, ma'am, we ask that people respect everyone here. And sometimes a gentle reminder is just enough to dissuade that behavior. And also I think it's important for board members to know if the president speaks for everybody, so they're the the ones that will do all the addressing of the crowd, or if board members have the right to all speak up and address the crowd. So I think that's something that needs to be clarified so that everybody's kind of on board with how you can handle a situation. You've mentioned social media a few times, Cheryl. How do you think that affects conflict these days? I think the biggest thing is that, I kind of mentioned that before, it brings all kinds of people into the conflict. And so... Somebody, and I remember myself making a comment on someone's social media had nothing to do with school boards or anything, but it was just a comment about something he had put on his social media. And pretty soon, eight people are attacking me. (laughs) And well, that's the last time I'm doing that. It wasn't even a bad comment or anything. It was more of a question trying to understand where the person was coming from. You know, and I've said this a hundred times to people, but that one was right in my face. Practice what you preach. You know, you know, this is not a good way to address issues with people. And the other thing is there aren't consequences with social media. So I can say all kinds of things I want or post all kinds of things. And there really are consequences. There are bad consequences, but they're not immediate consequences. I mean, I've seen families fall apart because of what's been put on social media. Because rather than address the issues, I can't address that, they, you know, we disagree, then either agree to disagree or sit down and work through them and see where you come. But if you blast each other on social media, it's worse. The other person, you know, you're doing it in public and you're doing it not just in public. I might at a restaurant get upset and lash out at someone and there's going to be maybe 30 people who hear me. Well, that's not the case on social media. There could be thousands of people even who hear it, especially if it's like a public school, for example. It's just a very bad place to deal with issues. Is there anything I haven't asked that either of you would like to talk about or mention? I guess I would just like to end by saying is to be gentle with board members. Mm -hmm. I mean, we signed on or ran because we're community minded. We, we love our communities. We love our schools. We love education. And we want to be that voice, that proponent for the the students in our district. So people didn't sign on to this because it it was a, a great, great, great job. 
although I've loved my years on the school board, I can say that I have. Um, and I've lived through QEO time. I've lived through Act 10 time and now COVID. But to be gentle with board members, we're doing the best job that we can. We really, really are. And to keep in mind that our focus is on education and providing the very best education we can for our students. We're not out to make enemies. We're, we're not out for our political agendas. We are there, hopefully, for the best interests of our students. And so I, I just put that out there as a reminder to folks that we're doing the best job we can. I think that's so well said, Betty. And all I would add to that is be gentle with each other. Because I know the audience here may be certainly board members, and um, I think board members need to be gentle with each other. And remember all those things that Betty just said, that um, you're in this together, and together you can do so much more. Conflict can keep people from accomplishing almost anything, and you have a lot to accomplish. So work together, work through your difficulties, and like Betty said, live through them all and came back for more. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time, both of you. Well, thank Thanks. you for having us. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening. Next month, we'll talk about ways to encourage people in your community to run for school board, including women and other underrepresented groups. Mm-hmm.